Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Thursday, July 4th, 2021. So, Fourth of July come up a few days, traditionally not a great time for dogs, so what's the plan for Nova? She's okay. She's okay. Is she? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Dad will be with her. Don't worry. He'll be... Okay. Yeah. It'll be fine. I've got friends who have to do the whole Thunder shirt thing, you know, that weighted yeah. blanket type thing, and it basically makes the dog move slower as it looking to flee from the noise. Yeah, those are very cute, but she, do, she does not need to use them. Speaking of noise, did you see the footage of this morning from the the botched fireworks disposal thing with the LAPD? You know, Jim, there's nothing the LAPD can't destroy. Um, and <laughs> this just shows you their tact and precision that they are known for, Jim. So, yeah. When you blow up the device, you put things in to blow up safely? Yeah. That's hard to do? And... I was looking for Wiley Coyote, I guess is what I'm saying here. <laughs> Speaking of which, you were just talking about the wrapping Elmer Fudd, and you also sent along that link to the, the Matrix bit from Space Jam, A New Legacy. Right. And I really want to be supportive of this movie. I really do. And I get why Warner Brothers would think making a Matrix joke now makes sense, because they've got, what, Matrix 4 coming out in December mm -hmm. of this year, but... These aren't making me more confident in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that these are just incredibly out of context and will fit better within the, the body of the movie. But um, it's pretty weird. It is pretty weird. I agree. I agree. And quick request to listeners of the show. If there's anyone out there who has the recipes for the cheesy potatoes that used to be served at the Steakhouse 55 uh, restaurant at the Disneyland Hotel. Mr. Taylor would like to have a word with you. <laughs> yes. I never got there. Really? It was always one of the, well, it, you know, it was one of these things. It's there. Whenever I was out there, it was always a working trip. And it was just sort of like, oh, I got to get to that at some point. I got to get to that. But, oh, there's the Tiki Bar. Or, oh, there's another restaurant that's open to the park that I got to get to. So it was always one of those things next trip. And now now there's no next trip. You know, what was it like? Well, it was it was very atmospheric. It was sort of, you know, no windows. It was kind of an old school uh, steakhouse. Kind of what I imagine the inverse of the Concourse Steakhouse was at uh, the Contemporary, where this is very dark and kind of hidden away. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it was the best kind of luxury meal on, on Disneyland property. It was always good to find somebody who had their employee <laughs> discount with the 50% off bracket for okay. Christmas. You know, that, that was a big thing is like, where can we get the most food for the least amount of money? And so you would go there with your with your coupon. And um, yeah, it was great. It was great. The irony is, you know, it would, it would move the price down from what? Obscene to just ridiculous. Yes, right? yes. You could swallow down. that. You know, when I, I don't drink, Jim, so that, that helped things too. Well, no, same yeah. thing here. Same thing here. But yeah, so. I'm, I'm sorry you didn't get to experience that because that was really one of the crown jewels of the Disneyland Hotel as far as I was concerned. I was surprised to hear the Cedary was closing. I was even bigger surprised was the news about... Mickey's PhilharMagic, which debuted at the Magic Kingdom back in October of 2003. And just now we're learning that after over 17 years, a new sequence is being added to this film. Yeah, and not, a, not just a new sequence, but a Pixar sequence, which is completely new. 
Yeah, and, and Drew brings that up because previously, they, all of the, the numbers that were in this 12-minute long theme park attraction were from Disney animated films. It was 1991's Beauty and the Beast, 1940's Fantasia, then Little Mermaid from 89, Lion King from 94, then Peter Pan from 51, and finally Aladdin from 92. So when you were working at the company, did you ever hear about the planned updates? I remember talking with somebody in Imagineering about that there were two specific numbers. There was the floating lantern, I see the light number from Tangled. And then there was Elsa, obvious, you know, I mean, come on, it's a gimme. Let it go with Elsa on the mountainside throwing ice magic around. Yeah. Did you ever hear anything about yeah, that? Yeah, I did. I heard about both of those, yeah. And and they, they both make sense. The, what I think will be interesting, especially seeing the images that they were released today, is how mm-hmm. different a 2021 image is going to look next to some fairly creaky animation from the original version. I mean, I understand that the um, Walt Disney World one is later because they're actually updating the um, projection and stuff like that. Oh, so okay, All so right. at least it will look better in Florida. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I know that the framing is kind of off at the one in California because obviously it was not built for that mm-hmm. show. But yep. I would like to see some kind of AV improvements, you know, with the actual movie as well. That would be very nice because well, it's <laughs> it's going to be quite a clash on that one, Jim. I forget who I was talking with about it, about there's a reason you see Mickey from a distance. I mean, they they just could not crack the how do you do a CG Mickey. I mean, the weird part is Donald was relatively easy, but it's doing Mickey's ears in perspective. I mean, that's why he is deliberately kind of blurry in the film. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't look too close. It'll hurt your eyes. Do we know anything about who worked on? Well, uh, I know that Lee Lee Unkrich did work on this. Um, He was tweeting about it today and he said it was great animation, but I have no idea where the animation actually came from. Um, They made a big deal in the press release about the first time that uh, Pixar and Disney characters are together, although that isn't quite true because Merida has been a part of the Disney princess line for a long time and she was in Wreck-It Ralph, so that's somewhat disingenuous but whatever um yeah i'm I'm very curious as to see who pulled this off i mean you and i were talking about how george scribner who directed oliver Mm. and company and rescuers down under right or no not rescuers down under uh was it just oliver and company i get why you did print uh rescuers down under because you did the feature right before it prints in the yes okay yep Okay, so no, I connect those two too. But but yeah, George directed the original Mickey's PhilharMagic, and he was kind of instrumental for bringing in people like Nick Ranieri to do Lumiere, you know, because he'd done the hand-drawn. Likewise, he, he brought in Glenn Keane to work on Ariel. In fact, that's supposedly where Glenn got his first taste for CG and then pivoted to go work on... Well, that was Rapunzel Unbraided, his version. But again, I, I'm going to love to pop the hood on this at some point. I hope they're willing to talk about it. And maybe we can grab and get them on the show. Yeah. Oh, you found that Luca is going to be available from Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment beginning on August 3rd. But did you see that story that Diz Insider broke uh, yes. early this week about that, that survey? Yeah, about future Luca projects. Here's the question that was pulled from the survey. To the best of your knowledge, how likely would each family member below be to watch another movie involving the characters in World of Luca if it became available? 
I think this film is a gem. I mean, it's a, a sweet little movie, but it. I don't know if a second trip back to Porto Rosa is going to work, right? What's your take? I, I think it's less about a sequel and more about some kind of episodic thing, if I had to guess. Oh. Much like... Much like Forky asked a question, I think you could do a number of things in this world. Swimming lessons um, with the characters, pasta mm-hmm. lessons, you know, just kind of little slice of life things that Ow, are happening. I lo- now, now that I love. Yeah. That could be great fun. Okay, you talk me off the ledge. <laughs> As this points out, I am wrong frequently. <laughs> For example, if you, you asked me like a year ago, do I want to see a fourth? Hotel Transylvania film, and, and, and I say this as a Gennady Tartakovsky fan. It's like, no, thank you, I'm full. But the trailers I've seen for Transformania are changing my mind. In fact, we just had a new one drop earlier today, which you enjoyed because we we're back on Gremlin Air. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was my favorite so. sequence from the third one. So I, I am very happy to see Gremlin Air return to the mm. franchise. But it looked like a lot of fun, even without Sandler and uh, Kevin James. Well, wait a minute. That's news. Kevin James? Is it coming yeah. back to do Frank? Well, if you heard it, if you listen to that one, it does not sound anything like him. And then afterwards, I looked up the credits, and it was not him. So now we're, we're down a Sandler, and we're down a Kevin Kevin James. <laughs> Okay, well, we survived Cedric to the Entertainer stepping away from the franchise. Right. Well, the last name entertainer who leaves the franchise, please turn off the lights. Right. All right, speaking of trailers, uh, we just had our teaser for Clifford the Big Red Dog drop. What did we think? Uh, looks pretty terrible, I gotta say. I don't, I don't know. I, what, did, what did you think, Jim? I'm just startled as somebody who spent his teens just getting my hands on anything Monty Python related. And again, I can quote the dead parrot sketch from memory, but it's just the notion that how John Cleese has now reached the point in his career that he can be the gentle, magical person that, you know, sets the story in motion. is kind of startling to me though. He was the narrator of the 2011 Winnie the Pooh, right? Yes. And he was great. Which by the way, this month, 10th anniversary of its release. Uh, great film. Great film. That was co-directed by Steven Anderson, who uh, did that film with Don Hall. And I just found out he's a supervising director on Monsters at Work, which debuts on Disney Plus just next week on, on the 7th. I can't wait. I can't wait for his book, first of all, Jim. I'm so glad you brought that up. The fact that somebody is finally going to write about that period from when Walt died in December of 66 through Eisner coming through the door in September of 84. I mean, there's so much history. There's so many stories. And I love that that Stephen's tackling that topic. We were talking at the top of the show about Space Jam. Uh, I guess we should also mention that the Looney Tunes show, the the series, over on HBO Max, we're going to get uh, 10 new episodes starting next week, aren't we? On, yeah. on the 8th? Yeah. That's on HBO Max. The day before that, over on Disney+, Plus, we're going to get another one of these Simpsons pay tribute to Disney-owned IP things. Uh, we, call the, we call these corporate priorities, Jim, is what these are. <laughs> My mistake. (laughs) Yes, everybody gets a little corporate love. Okay, so the first one of these was The Force Awakens from its nap, dropped on May 4th. So what do we think of this one? The Good, the Bart, and the Loki? Well, did you see that this actually has uh, voice acting in it? 
that Tom Hiddleston Ooh. is actually going to reprise his role as Loki. Wow. Because okay. if you remember, the last one didn't have any voice acting because they couldn't afford it. So, <laughs> so you know, this will uh, be different. I hope that it's David Silverman back mm-hmm. uh, in the director's chair. Yeah, um, I, I, I love his stuff. Yeah, you know. we'll um, see. Speaking of stuff we're going to have to see on, you, you sent me the link to the My Little Pony, A New Generation trailer, which... Is that really what that trailer was? Just the, the the voice actors sort of introducing little clips of themselves doing the characters, or did I miss the actual trailer? No, that that's it, Jim. That's all it was. It was it was more an announcement, maybe a threat, as someone might say. Um, but yeah, I am not the audience for this thing, though. I have to admit, kind of intriguing to see these two D characters from this world now rendered in CG. You're not a brony, Jim. I can only be obsessed with so many things, Drew. And it just, yes. though Lauren Faust did the, the the initial My Little Ponies, right? Or Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because I, I love her stuff. So it was just one of those things when I heard she was involved, it's like, I should probably pay attention to this. I thought that she was working on this one, but I guess she is not. But she's hmm. she's got enough going on. She worked on uh, Kid Cosmic recently, which, you know, I loved oh, to death. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. I guess we should mention that this trailer <laughs> introduces us to the character that Vanessa Hudgens is voicing, who is Sunny Star Scout. And then Kimiko is voicing Izzy Moonbow. And then finally, we have James Marsden, who will be voicing Hitch Trailblazer. And isn't James Marsden voicing a character in Boss Baby Family Business? Yeah, if only we had a chat with the filmmaker behind that movie, Jim. We get, could ask him about James Marsden. Okay. Applause for... That's a, a wonderful segue <laughs> to set up the second half of today's show, where we do, in fact, have an interview uh, uh, with Tom McGrath, the director of DreamWorks of Boss Baby Family Business. And we'll get to that interview in just a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Do you want to talk about this global premiere that that Amazon Prime just snagged? Oh, yeah. Well, I do. I mean, I I must tell everyone full transparency that I've only seen a couple of episodes of the show since they put it on Netflix. How how familiar are you with it, Jim? The Evangelion? I'm saying the name right or not? Okay, because... Yes, yeah, Evangelion, yeah. Have you seen the things they do... At Universal Studios Japan, where they will do these like three month long 
hugely popular shows in Japan, and they'll bring them into the parks for just the, this, you know, I mean, incredible fan event. But again, just short window of time. It's there for just three months, and then it's gone. And this was on my radar because Alice was planning a trip over to Japan. She was going to be over there for the opening of Super Nintendo World. And one of the things that was most exciting her was like, oh, and they're doing these fan events and you know, they're going to be doing the Evangelion as part of this. So it's kind of on my radar, but if you want to explain, please. Well, I mean, it is a kind of like very influential anime about robots and and kids that pilot those robots. And it's very gripping. Mm. I mean, what I've seen is really amazing. And it's Mm. hugely influential. So they have announced that the new movie, which is called Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.01 Thrice Upon a Time, which let me just carry. Oh, it the, just or, yep, that seems talk. right. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's like the Demon Slayer movie where it's like Demon Slayer coming for your mama, you know, mm. the crisis averted part one or whatever. That was a huge hit earlier okay. this year. So they are go- that's going straight to Amazon in most territories that aren't Japan. Over 240 mm. territories, Jim. Yeah. And that'll be there in August. And the other mm. movies that uh, were released since the show, which mm. includes... Okay, ready for this, Jim? Okay. Evangelion 1.11, You Are Not Alone. Evangelion mm. 2.22, You Cannot Advance. And Evangelion 3.33, You Cannot Redo. All of those will also be on Amazon uh, for the release of this new one. So uh, fans of that franchise are getting hyped up, Jim. All right. I was about to get really excited here because I was like, oh, my God, are these the people doing the Snow Godzilla? But no, that's uh, Shinkosen Haike Robo Shinkalion the movie. No, well, one of the one of the creators uh, did do Shin, Shin Godzilla. Oh, Hideki okay. Ano. Yeah, he, he, direct, he mm. co-directed Shin Godzilla. He's working on Shin Ultraman, which I think was pushed back to next year. Um, yes, and okay. he is a big genius. So if you maybe if you like Shin Godzilla, this you, you should start. Um, yeah, okay, Genesis all right. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll put it on the pile with the My Little Pony. Okay. Yes. By the way, folks, we get letters here sometimes. And, and just this past week, I got an email from a fine-tuning listener, Jefferson Tessier. The letter reads, I I like your podcast with Drew Taylor, fine-tuning. Why do you not talk about The Bad Batch? Right now, it's the best current animation series. You and Drew talk about some very obscure stuff, which is good, because I learned about new shows. However, I was was not expecting to like The Bad Batch, but every week it delivers a great episode, and... Drew and I are honestly not ignoring the the bad badge. If anything, I'll be up early tomorrow to catch the latest episode of this animated series. By the way, episode 10, Common Ground, and there were only four more of these beauties left after that in season one. Uh, there's more. There's more, Jim. There's more coming. Don't worry. There, this, there's, there's more on the way. I would not say that there are only four more. Let me just say, say that. Okay. All right. Without getting anybody <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> Only four more episodes in season one, okay? One, there we go, okay. There we go, okay. Asses now covered. Uh, I think Dave Filoni and the the team at Lucasfilm Animation, very solid storytelling, really intrigued to see where this is going. A couple other things before we get to the feature. Don't know how many Star Trek Discovery fans are are out there, but Tig Notara, who plays the chief engineer Jet Reno on that Paramount Plus show, also, a wonderful stand-up comic. And her latest uh, stand-up special, Tignataro Drawn, debuts on HBO, just plain Jane HBO, not HBO Max, on July 24th. But 
It's being produced by Animation Studio Six Point Harness, and the entire thing, Drew, is animated. But they change animation styles like every two or three minutes. Yeah, that trailer was really something. I yeah, know. did you see I it? No, it was amazing. Whoever did the spider vignette, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> that was great. But again, definitely looking for that. And as long as we're doing plugs for Star Wars A Bad Batch, I guess, we, you know, if we're talking about Tig and her association with Star Trek Discovery, uh, we need to mention that Star Trek Lower Decks returns on August 12th for its season two. And that's also Paramount Plus. So. I'm very, I'm very into that show, so I'm, I'm excited for it to come back. Did you, did you watch the whole first season? I did, I did, and in fact, you know, I especially love Jonathan Frakes and Consular Troy. They swoop out of the Titan, the last minute, and did the, the classic Star Trek rescue. I mean, it's very, very inside baseball. I mean, you know, it's, it's sometimes jokes that Jesus, you know, I, I don't even think the writers of the show would get that joke, but I, I still enjoy it. Very much so, and I'm looking forward to, to season two. But I like that all the spaceships are named after uh, California uh, yes. <laughs> suburbs. <laughs> yes. The first time I saw that done, in fact, this really, really weird attempt at Disney doing a sitcom in uh, the early 1980s. Have you have you ever heard of Zorro and Son? No. Oh, you got to chase this down. The gimmick of it is, is that it's 25 years after the fact, and it's very much Disney trying to do sort of an airplane type show, only keying off of the Zorro franchise. The 20 years after the real Zorro has saved, you know, the Los Angeles area, his son has returned from school and he's picking up the mantle. All of the members of the Spanish, the fighting force that was trying to track down Zorro were named after major roadways in Los Angeles. It had this fun edge to it, but I think it lasted all of four episodes. Disney was like, what do you think of this? It's like, oh, God, no, we don't want this. But yeah, there's got to be an episode or two of it out there somewhere. You have to chase this down. I mean, I know your love of obscure, strange Disney, but yeah, yes. Zorro and Sons. Uh, I think it, it aired for like four episodes on CBS. All right. Anyway, we were talking about Tom McGrath, whose latest film for DreamWorks Animation, Boss Baby, Family Business, debuts tomorrow, July 2nd, in theaters and also on streaming on Peacock. And now, McGrath has had quite the career in animation. He's directed or co-directed six features for DreamWorks over the past 16 years. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he's had his hand in, in just as many more, I think, you no, know, that's, as a producer or a voice talent or whatever. Yeah, in fact, we, we ran out of time, but I really wanted to ask him about, he supposedly waded into Flushed Away when they were like, that's eh, a little too British. This is the guy behind the, the Madagascar trilogy, Megamind, you know, obviously the original Boss Baby. But but honestly, folks, what intrigued Drew and I the most about Tom's resume was his very first job in animation was, you know, on a film that you and I are both very intrigued about, right? Yes. Uh, he first worked on Cool World which he didn't really give us any dirt, but he was there for the entire thing. So maybe he was just being polite. But I would love to to know more about this production. I flew out to Disney in June of 1992 into, into LAX. And I literally made my friend uh, Jeff Lang. It's like, he's like, we got to go to the park. We got to go to Disneyland. It's like, no, no, we have to go find the Hollywood sign because... 
the Hollywood figure, the 75-foot-tall version. In fact, who was the, the actress who played it in the film? Uh, ba- was it Kim Bassinger? I think it was Kim Basinger, yeah. I, okay. And this had caused such an uproar, because I guess Paramount had paid the Hollywood Citizen thing a, a nominal fee to put this giant 75-foot animated character up on the sign, sitting on the 50-foot letters and... Supposedly, that was the last time they allowed anyone to go near the sign or to use it for commercial purposes. But enough of us talking. Let's let's listen to Tom McGrath as he talks about his time working with Ralph Bashke on, on Cool World. We are big animation nerds, so I wanted to start off with a, a question about your past. So we're going to oh, go. Sure. We're gonna, we're gonna submerge you into the tank. You worked on Cool World, right? Which is a yeah. fascinating project. And one that holds a lot of mystique, I think, for some animation fans. So I was wondering just how chaotic was that production? I mean, were you guys kind of shielded from all of the drama? And and what else? I mean, do you have any crazy Baxi stories as well? Yeah, I was one of Ralph's first hires. Wow. Whoa. Chris Miller and Dave Watson and I, he just had us, basically gave us some desks and just said, do walk cycles and make up characters and do different walk cycles, which he used in the background, ultimately in the movie. And as it started from there, he was like, a, he was, he was really nice to me, but I was, his first hire was one of the last animators on it. He had me doing garbage mats because there was a lot of rotoscoping and things like that. So he just made sure I saw every step of the process, you know? And I knew Ralph would Ralph would go around in the morning at 5 a.m. and check out everyone's uh, animation. And I had my, you know, uh, animation on my face. But I knew he was there because he'd put a cigarette butt out <laughs> right on your desk. So it was just like the kiss of approval from Ralph, you know, in a way. The thing is, you know, that movie had a very young Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Yes. It. And it was my job to do a cartoon caricature of Brad Pitt. I, I don't even remember how it turned out. They used a little bit of it in the movie and stuff. But it was a great, you know, working with Ralph was fantastic. It's, it was so old school, you know what I mean? And he had just had a love for animation. So these guys that I remember seeing on credits as a kid, Irv Spence, George Bakes, mm-hmm. um, all these great old time animators. Uh, Bill Melendez, I shared an office with who animated Peanuts. Oh and so I, I just got, you know, it was like a, a revolving door of, of cool, you know, animators to work with on it. And I learned a lot on that. Learned a lot what not to do as, as much as what to do. You know. You've already done a trilogy. You've done the, the three Madagascar films. And by the way, I have to tell you, the fireworks sequence in Madagascar 3 that, that, that Europe's most wanted is honestly one of my favorite pieces of animation out of the Oh, past that's awesome. Decade. You know, in fact, I have to ask, as a, as a guy who started off boarding, how the hell did you guys board that scene? It's just nuts. It is nuts. And, and there were a lot of artists on that scene that was in various bigger, uh, you know, those kind of scenes are like a 20 minute scene. You boil it down to nothing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, um, you know, what worked well was also working with the layout artists, too, because they could find shots. You do thumbnail drawings and then they could lay out the shots. There's a particular shot where their shadows are really big. Um, Alex and and the Jaguars like. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're trying to do these these impressionistic cinematic shots within the frenetic bits of it. And sometimes it comes from a napkin drawing. You give it to our layout artists and they would lay it out. You know, something you can convey more with, with layout than you could with storyboards sometimes. 
Got it. But having done the Madagascar trilogy, were there any lessons you applied as you're now circling back to Boss Baby? And again, of course, there's the two Boss Baby books, but there's not a lot of meat on those bones, especially with the bossier baby. I mean, when you going back to the well the second time, how did you go about developing the sequel? The studio kind of says, oh, we want a sequel, right? Mm -hmm. And you go, well, great, but it has to be a good story, right? And that, they were developing the TV show at the time, and the kids were, um, I mean, the kids, sorry. The TV show is about them as kids, kind of continuing on with the story. And, and I took a break because I had done, I think, six movies back to back. And I was like, going, uh, I don't know, you know, what, what can you do with the, you know, the TV isn't. I sat on it for a bit and then um, remembered how we ended the first movie with them as adults. And the whole movie was Tim telling his daughter about how he kind of, you know, connected with his brother, that sort of thing. And at the end of the movie, we had a baby turning over in a crib and winking at the camera. And it wasn't to set up a sequel at all. It was a one and done movie. Hmm. It was just to say, oh, uh, the kid's imagination is real. Baby core does exist. And it was for the little kids to think like, oh, hey. It's, it's, uh, so we're like, hey, what if we took that baby and, and had her be a foil against Alec Baldwin's character in a way. But I think for me, what got me excited about it was the idea we had set this formula in the first movie that turned uh, the villain, uh, Steve Buscemi's character, back into a baby at the end. And wouldn't it be great if they had to drink the formula to go on one last, one last mission and revert back to kids? Because I remember like, there's that old fantasy of like, if you could go back to being a kid with what you know now, in your head and go back to school, you know, with the knowledge you have now, how would things be different? And just thought, oh, that's a fun idea if we could, you know, Tim and Ted are now both grown men who've grown up and grown apart and they have to relive their childhood, become children again to kind of reconcile their, their sibling rivalry or whatever. So that seemed like a back to the future idea in, a, in reverse. Thanks, Bob Gale, for, for that idea. But um, um, that was a, that was fun. And, and I was reading this article about schools and how much pressure they're putting on kids. And, and, and I knew parents that had to audition their kids to get into preschool because these new schools are so elite and all that stuff. And thought like, Oh, it'd be cool to do a, you know, the idea about a school that's maybe putting so much pressure on kids. It might be stealing their, you know, robbing them of their childhoods because these boss baby movies kind of embrace a child's imagination. So it was a kind of a, an amalgam of these ideas. I mean, hey, maybe there's a story here that we could do 25 years later as opposed to just the same old kid and, uh, and boss baby. And by the way, speaking of Ralph Bakshi, mm -hmm. Miles Bakshi, Ralph's mm -hmm. grandson voiced Tim in the first boss baby. Oh, so oh, Ralph wow. gave me my first job. I gave his grandson his first job. But when Miles finished the movie, mm -hmm. he started when he was 10. He ended when he was 15. And his <laughs> voice was deeper than mine, you know. <laughs> And so at the end of the movie, you know, he was too old to play that part. It's like, there's no one like Miles, you know, he, had, he wasn't a trained actor, so he had a, a real authentic part. So like, it, it made more sense to, you know, bring in James Marsden, have him be the dad now. Well, I wanted to ask about that because Tobey Maguire was the voice in the first movie, right? Was there any talk of him coming back? Toby was great. You know, he, we finished the movie and we needed a narrator and wanted someone who kind of sounded like Miles in a way. And, and Toby was awesome. He came in and did what we needed. Um, but as we started developing the second one, we were going to have more original songs in it. And because Tim needs to sing in it, 
And we, we, uh, I remember James Marsden and um, Jeff Herman brought up him from Enchanted and we just thought, oh, James is funny and he can sing. So it was the requirements of the part. Well, you brought up the, the TV show and I, and I, this is a question that I'm sure, I mean, you can answer too about Madagascar, which is that there are so many sort of anticellary things that are going on in the DreamWorks animation world at the same time. Do you ever come up against sort of developing an idea and then realizing, oh, they did it on season four of Boss Baby, New Rules or whatever the show is, you know, and then we, have we to talk start to over. each other. Okay. I know Brad, Brandon Sawyer very well because we worked together on, um, he was one of the head writers on Penguin's TV show. Right. And so, you know, we'd get together and he'd, he'd kind of talk through his, his premises for TV shows and, and we tell him what we wanted to do with the movie. And it helped that our timeline was 25 years later. You know right. what I mean? So there weren't really that many issues. I think they took, they did different things in Baby Core than we wanted to do. You know, we went back to the, the first movie for how we treated Baby Core and that sort of thing. Right. That's what helps with having a, an alternate t- timeline. Right. <laughs> you just mentioned the Penguins of Madagascar show. And I have to tell you, I love your work as Skipper in the trilogy, likewise, the show. But did you ever audition anybody else for that role? Because, I mean, it just... Skipper, yeah, Skipper. I, I, boarded, I, I boarded the first scene with those characters and thought it would be funny if these elite... It's not elite penguins, but these penguins, like, uh, you know, like soldier, like a World War II movie, were breaking out of this crate because they didn't want to go to Africa. And so I boarded it and I pitched it to... Jeffrey and uh, Eric Darnell, my partners and stuff. And they thought it was funny, but it was like, well, what are these penguins doing in the movie? And they wanted to cut them out. You know? So I went through and, and uh, with Eric and we just found, oh, they could have a mini storyline through this movie. But for me, I was doing my poor man's impersonation of Robert Stack and Charlton Heston. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I remember Charlton Heston on a spaceship in Planet of the Apes smoking a cigar going, is man still making war? <laughs> And he was smoking a cigar in a spaceship, which cracked me up. Anyway, that's a bad impersonation. But um, Robert Stack, unfortunately, right as we approached him, he passed away. Uh, and we're so close to animating that uh, mm. Katzenberg just said, oh, you're fine. You do well. Because I pitched it so many times and I'd done the scraps for it. Mm-hmm. But what it taught me was, man, you are so naked behind the mic. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have any context. I, I knew the character, but as... When you're on the other side of the mic, it's really interesting as, as what kind of feedback you want. So it taught me to be a better director, I think, being on that side of the mic. You know, in context is everything, you know. Whether you're explaining that, you know, you're being, you're on a sled, you know, and there's a giant tree on fire turning into a snowball behind you. It's like those types of things help the actor, you know. <laughs> so it was an interesting process. Not that I'd want to do it for a living. There's people that do it much I wanted to ask about uh, Michael McCullers and working with him because he is such a sort of comedy legend and he's he's become a real heavyweight in the animation world as well. And I know he's working on Shrek um, at DreamWorks now. So what what was it like, the collaboration there? And can you share any stories about him? Yeah, you know, I was really interested in the book uh, at development. They had a bunch of stuff and I thought, oh, this baby in a suit is interesting. Michael was hired to also start thinking about it. And the, the common idea we both had was, oh, it'd be great if it was an older kid getting a baby brother, because then he could do the sibling, sibling rivalry. But Michael 
kind of came up with the idea of baby core and that uh, babies and puppies had this war for, for love. And we connected right away because I knew of Michael years earlier. I was working with Ron Howard on The Grinch and uh, he had hired me, but he had this script that was floating around Austin Powers, The Wrath of Khan, it was called. And uh, that was the original title for uh, the, the second one. And Michael had written it and I thought it was the most hilarious script I've ever read. And just got, man, this guy is funny. And it was years later, I totally forgot about it, that we had hooked up for, for Boss Baby. And so to me, you know, what's, what's great about Michael is, you know, he can write for animation. He's got a great imaginative mind as well. And, and also find the voices for characters, you know, in a way. Even for this movie, you know, when we thought of the world's smartest baby for, um, which kind of led us to Jeff Goldblum was was just how, how he would talk, you know, and the kind of um, vocabulary he would have. And then instantly, when you read it, you go, that's Jeff Goldblum. Hopefully he'll do the movie, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but I love working with Michael. And for me, like, less is more, you know, that you see so many movies with 18 writers on them. And I love one writer, one producer, one director, you know what I mean? And, and you get a really, because it, it, it invests him. You know, Michael was with us for three years, three and a half years on this one. And almost five on the first one, you know, always rewriting, you know, doing punch up, things like that. One of my favorite scenes out of the first film is, is the, the, the wonderful chase scene through town with the, the scary Poppins character. And I mean, it has such amazing, the golden book style design. I mean, it just pops out. And I was wondering when you were approaching the second one, because you have that same sort of chase moment in this one and it would did you feel the need like okay we we have to top the chasing that we did in the last one or well it, it never starts like that i just i i when michael and i were talking about it, i go oh it'd be great if she he actually ted gives elaborate gifts like he gives tabitha shetland pony and it would hate him and at some point it's like they have to use it maybe in the third act to to get somewhere quick and then we thought oh maybe they could be late for school and they'd have to take this little angry Shetland pony to school. And this thing would be just a freight train, you know? Hmm. And so it just started as a simple idea. And then it was a one minute sequence. Then it turned into a five minute sequence, just adding more stuff to it. And it's like, oh, wow, we didn't have, we didn't build much of the town in the first movie. We're going to need more town. They started building more of the town and we just kept coming up with more gags. And, and this is not to get off topic, but I think what works great is in animation is the collaboration, you know, and, and the best ideas can come from anywhere. And rather than do the, you know, the departmental version of animation where there's script and story artists and then layout and then animation, it's to get everyone together in a room. And so, you know, you're talking about Mad 3 and I think what lessons I learned on Mad 3 and Megamind was, you know, get the layout department and the story department together because they have ideas too and they're in the sets and they can come up with gags. We would then take the, the storyboards and have a layout artist do the same acting as in the storyboards so we could actually shoot basically the storyboards as it would be in the, in the space, you know, and did get different coverage. So it's kind of a hybrid between live action and animation. So I just get everyone together in these rooms and just say, well, how can we make this scene better? You know, and, and layout would come up with ideas, story would come out with ideas, animation would come up with ideas, and we ended up all putting them into the scene. And, there, and action is just really fun, you know? And so we're pretty happy with this chase sequence that ended up in the film. 
it was, it took a year to produce because there's so many effects in it. So we knew we had to get it into the pipeline early, you know, get it animated so we could keep adding, you know, uh, get the best it could be. So it took about a year, a little over a year to generate that whole scene. But we also ended up having to uh, take a, a, a town from the first movie and from one block and turn it into 40 blocks. So we made this modular set, like, you know, that you feel like a, you know, like a slot car track that you can keep adding to it, you know. Well, do you have an idea for a third movie since, you know, I'm sure they'll come a knock in next week. Um, I know. And, and um, you only want to do it if you come up with a fun idea. You know what I mean? And so I'll think about it because I love working with, the cast and I love working with the artists and we had such a great team and we were so strong because we finished half the movie under COVID you know and working from home and that sort of but if we have a good story then get the band back together and and have fun with it you know to your other question you know that that circus that you liked in um in that three Renee Mm -hmm. um big shout out to Kendall Cronkite as a production designer she really kind of uh any movie she touches is is beautiful, and um, and she's just celebrating her twenty five years at DreamWorks. Wow, wow. amazing! Yeah. DreamWorks is twenty five years old because we. I remember when it just when it was a little boss baby, walking, I know, right? walking <laughs> into the world. Yes, I know. Well, it was a pleasure. I've got to I've got to check you guys out. This yeah, is check great. it I've been out. So focused on getting the movie done, I haven't even like seen or watched anything well when you have five minutes check check us out i think you'll you'll enjoy but it was a real thrill to get to talk to you yeah Um, thanks for making mine as well thanks Uh, thanks thanks, tom bye take care i love that i love that tom slipped that tribute into his his co-worker at dreamworks at dan there that that 25 years at one animation center that that's kind of unheard of in today's staff up prior to production and let everyone go when animation is you know get done so good for her congrats Thanks to the nice folks at DreamWorks Animation for giving us the opportunity to talk with Tom. Again, the Boss Baby family business opens in theaters and is available for streaming on Peacock on July 2nd. That's the end for this week, at least for fine-tuning. But again, if you're looking for quality stuff to listen to, look no further than Light the Fuse, especially now. So are are we into number two of the, the Brian De Palma interviews now, or...? Yeah, we are. We um, we have uh, gotten through the first one. The second one will be out right now when you're listening to this. And a lot of fun stories there, including some stories about Mission to Mars, Jim, which you have to listen to. All right. Our side of the fence just today recorded a brand new Disney dish uh, with Len Testa. In fact, we finally finished our Toy Story Midway Mania series. Jim, I got to say that stories have not been quite as tangential as this one in a while. <laughs> I mean... Two complete you... episodes about Mickey Mouse in the parks is like, it's crazy, Jim. You gotta, you gotta get back on track. Is this, is this gonna have some, some resolution? Yes, I know. Lots of tangents, but had to get to this moment where it's like we did all this work. It's Mickey, and it's like, no, it isn't. Please, please do Pixar. Please, please, please. <laughs> so speaking of tangents, yeah, there, there we go. A nice <laughs> off ramp into we're a back. story. <laughs> And we're back. Okay. Anyway, back to the plugs. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have also the Marvelous uh, Disney podcast. Aaron and I just recorded a brand new one of those. This weekend, I think uh, Dustin Fuse and I will be recording a brand new Universal joint. If you could head over 
to Bandcamp and subscribe. That would be helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And finally, over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And that will do it for tonight. Thanks again for listening, folks. And Drew and I will be back with a brand new show very, very soon.